this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. talk a lot in Christian circles about how culture impacts Christianity, right? How we need to not let it influence my Christianity. Generally, we talk about these things in terms of like secular music or lustful thoughts or, you know, crazy things like demonic rap concerts and or uh, even like using lights and haze in church. Is that, is that culture impacting church? But I don't know. So I'm sure absolutely some of that stuff is, is a threat to my walk with God. But I tend to think that we focus on things like that, the easy stuff to talk about. And it blinds our ability to see the deeper things. Things like consumerism in church. Right? We, we see ourselves as the customer so often, as a consumer out and about in everyday life. And consumerism, capitalism, it's made us believe that the customer is always right and we should always be served. It should all be serving me. This year has been, the past couple of years have been a little bit tougher for us in that aspect because how dare the grocery store not have sticky buns all week, right? Actually, true story. I was a little upset that I didn't have sticky ones at the store last week. Anybody else settle settle a debate between my husband and I for me? Because he's been making fun of me all week. Are sticky buns like a treat for breakfast in your house, or is it like an everyday, like normal thing? Raise your hand if it's a treat, like a special thing, a special day. See, Aaron Pringle, where is he? Just saying. I didn't have them on Christmas Eve morning. But I did have them on Christmas Day, so it's okay. Don't go buying me sticky buns. I got them. <laughs> anyway, we carry some of that stuff over into church life, right? Like, I should be served. I should be catered to. I should always come in hungry and leave fed. When I don't, the pastor must not be hearing from God anymore. The Holy Spirit's moved on. I don't know. Something happened with them, not with me. Something's not right. I should be served at all times. I should be well-fed, right? It's me, 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 that me monster. It's, it's culture sneaking its way into church. It's culture impacting humanity, Christianity. It's not the culture Jesus taught, right? It's a carryover from what's around us. I think another one of these is the way that we see purpose. I've been redefining purpose in my life lately. I think in our Western American capitalist civilization, we tend to see busyness as productivity, right? And we see productivity as everything. Everything should be productive. If we're not busy and productive, are we even worth anything? If I'm not producing something, what am I worth, right? I just came off of a week off. We always take the last week of the year off, like between Christmas and New Year's, except for Sunday morning it off. As a staff, it's it's honestly become something that I really value. I take it seriously. I protect that time. Like, I don't want to see any faces that week. Just be in my house, you know what I mean? Take it seriously. October through December is crazy. Bonkers busy. I don't know about for you, but for church life and just my family life, it's busy. So I take it very seriously, and I honestly spend a lot of that time sleeping and resting and just refreshing, right? But I gotta be honest with you. 
I also struggle with it every year. I, I beat myself up if I didn't accomplish something that day, right? Like you get in this mode of being busy and always accomplishing something. And so when I lay down at, at the end of a, a restful day, I begin to tally up all the things that I did accomplish that day. I made a meal for my family. I did a load of laundry, uh, something. I caught up on emails quick. I vacuumed the floors. Like the more things that I can think of, even on a week off that I specifically planned for and meticulously protected, I'll be darned if I don't feel much better about myself at the end of that day if I have like five or 10 things on the productive list, right? I just, I feel like I'm not enough to just be. I have to accomplish something. Now, some of that might just be my personality and my particular drive, but I'm willing to bet that even if the specifics of that don't ring true for you, the sentiment does. We have been raised in a culture of productivity, busyness. I think that's why a lot of us really struggled when lockdowns began to happen in 2020. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. We defined ourselves by the busyness for so long. We had no idea how not to be busy. That particular cultural sentiment carries over into our faith. We have no idea how to be still in the Lord's presence, how to listen when he speaks, how how to do nothing when he says to do nothing, even though when it feels like we should be doing something. Uh, We have no idea how to be patient and wait on the Lord. Culture impacting faith. Do you see the pattern? It's a lot more sneaky than I think we think it is. What does it mean to be productive in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be called by him? What does it mean to be qualified for leadership and for ministering to other people? Many of our heroes from the Bible, our biblical heroes, were unqualified for jobs that God called them to. And they felt unqualified for the tasks that someone had to step up and do. Are the callings of God just about completing impossible tasks like that of the Old Testament? Are they always a series of predestined victories? Does failure mean you weren't called to it? What does being called to something even We're going to answer these questions and more during this New Year series. I'm very excited about what I believe God has something special for each and every one of us that's going to resonate throughout the entire year. And I know because I've been studying some pretty special people in the Bible over these past couple weeks. People that feel very qualified. feel very unique in the Bible. I have a long list of Bible heroes that we could talk about in this series. People like Noah. Noah, who truly trusted God, even when literally no one else did, and and got to live when literally no one else did. And that's a unique story if I've ever heard of one, right? Or Abraham, trusted God with something absolutely impossible for an impossibly long time, right? And he got to have a legacy that no one else did because of it. Or, or Jacob, who made decisions that no one else would have and eventually got to make the decision that no one else could have, right? Unique stories. Moses, who was set up for success actually by other people and eventually got to set up an entire people for success when they didn't have any of that in a really long time. 
where David, right, who, who prepared himself unnoticed and unseen out in a field with sheep, right, caring about only the opinion of the one who mattered and got to eventually be the only opinion in the nation that mattered. Or even in Take it to the New Testament, the woman at the well, right, who got to be the first one to experience the grace and undeserved purpose of God, being called into ministry for the purposes of others, believed in when no one else believed in her. Just unique, amazing stories. There are so many of these that we could talk about within the Word because God calls the unqualified, and he can use you too. But what does it mean? to be qualified, to be used by God. You know, I knew when I wanted to start this series, I knew I wanted to start it off with talking about the story of Gideon. Gideon's story is one uh, I'm not sure I've ever preached, but for some reason I just knew this was the one we had to start with. I, I think because his, his story sort of unteaches some things that I think culture has let, we have let culture teach us incorrectly. Sometimes you have to unlearn some things. I know y'all came for some teaching today, but are you ready for some unteaching first? (laughs) Some unlearning first? Can we do that together? A lot of times I think we have to unlearn those things before we can learn new things. Jesus talked about pouring new wine into old wineskins, right? You can't, you can't do it because um, we don't often get this because we don't make wine like this anymore, but uh, the old wineskin will break if you pour new wineskin into it because it expands and ferments, right? The the wineskin grows with the wine. His point was that we must become new to understand Jesus's new teachings. His teachings don't fit into the old ways of thinking. They aren't compatible. You have to become new. You have, we have to renew our minds to be able to understand what the word is teaching because the world teaches us one way. Culture teaches us one way. God teaches another. Now, Gideon's story, it does this really well. So Judges 6 and 7 is where we find the story of Gideon. And his life happened a while before, in a time before the kings of Israel. Okay, but after Moses and Joshua, I just want to give you a little bit of context because Moses and Joshua led the people into the promised land, right? We've talked a lot about Moses over the past year. And so the people of Israel are now fully settled into the promised land. They are told that they have to obey the laws of the Torah. And if they do, they'll be able to show the world the goodness of God. Right? There'll be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. There'll be the light to the world, drawing everyone to them. They were meant to show the world, what God was like. The book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total and utter failure. (laughs) They failed at the one job of following the laws and being an example to the world. And they just fail over and over and over again. It's, It's total disregard for the laws of the Torah, for God himself, or sometimes it's a half disregard a partial compromise with other nations, other gods, other worship, which is, to God, total failure, right? So the name of the book comes from the type of leaders that Israel had in this period. Instead of kings and queens, Israel had judges. Not like quite a courtroom. Don't think courtroom judge, okay? Think more like a tribal chieftain, like a warrior leader, okay? They led people into battle as well as judge their everyday lives because just to note, even when God is the king, people are still crazy. (laughs) We still need judges, right? 
It's good to know because we often think that, God, if you could just fix everything, right? If you could just be the king, if you could just be in charge, if we could just have all Christian leaders in place or whatever, everything would be better. It wouldn't, okay? So the book of Judges, it's violent and graphic. Be warned if you want to read through it. It's the tragic tale of Israel's moral failure. The leaders go from pretty good, there are three pretty good ones, two guys and then Deborah, to okay, to bad, to worse. They just get worse. They lead Israel into some horrible things. One of the main things that Israel adopts from the world around them is child sacrifice, for example, which is awful. Worship practices of other gods. The worship of Baal teaches that you literally have to sacrifice your firstborn baby in order to have a blessed family after that. Horrible. Among a whole list of other horrible terrible worship practices. But the first three stories are are pretty good judges. They're loyal to God. They bring about victory over the nations around them. Gideon falls into the okay category. Okay. First of all, he's a little bit of a coward from the beginning. (laughs) And his story gets good and it ends not so great. So we often tend to overlook the bad. I actually, there are some things that I really learned throughout the series and I've heard Gideon preached a lot, but Didn't know a couple of these things. So we can unlearn and we can learn from his story, both the good and bad. Let's jump into this. Judges 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Everybody say Abizar. If I have to say these crazy names, you do too. Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. He was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Look, threshing wheat was usually done in a large open area. I had to look this up. There's actually photos in the sermon notes if you want to see what this, like, picture what this looked like. Ideally, they threshed wheat on top of a tall hill or something like that, so the wind would help them. The wind would actually help the process. They would have animals trod on the wheat over and over again to break it down, to process it, and the chaff would blow away in the wind until what was left was only the usable parts for making food. The fact that Gideon was doing it at the bottom of a pit... Right? A wine press usually was essentially just a pit. It was maybe levels. There was the top level where you stomped on all the grapes, and then it filtered down through into the bottom level. It's probably what an ancient wine press would have looked like. Neither of these things, neither of these pits would have been ideal for threshing wheat. Okay, But the Israelites at this time were oppressed by the Midianites. Right? The Midianites would come and raid and steal their food. If they saw anyone using the threshing floor, they probably would have taken it. And so here Gideon is, busy. He's working. Even though it wasn't ideal circumstances, and it probably took him much longer than it should have because of where he was doing it, he was working. But it is amazing to me how often God comes to people when they are busy. Have you ever noticed this throughout the word? They're busy. How often he calls people who are already doing something. They're preparing their, themselves. They are being faithful. They are taking care of things, their family, etc. Sometimes I think we get too focused on like 
well, I haven't spent enough time with God lately. Like, I haven't been into my Bible in the mornings with my coffee and my quiet time and my journaling time. I haven't been as faithful as I would like. And yes, you should strive to spend time with God. That's important and it's necessary. But I think faithfulness is much more of a heart stance than a time commitment. Does that make sense? I have spent time in the Word. I've put the time in on a Bible plan, checking off the boxes, and learned nothing. Right? Just checking boxes. Okay, I'm done for the day. I can move on. I, it went in one ear and out the other. It was nothing. Faithfulness is a heart stance, not just a time commitment. And don't get me wrong, it is also doing something consistently. Faith does require action, but it starts with your heart, with a willingness, with a position. Over and over throughout the word, I see God coming down, down to our level. He, he comes down into our busyness, into our world. No other God in the Bible does that. I spent some time this week researching Asherah poles and Baal worship and what the, the culture and context would have looked like for Gideon and, and None of it bothered me, but what bothered me was the comments I saw in these articles, like real-time people today commenting on these articles from people who equate the God of Israel with Baal or Asherah or the God of these gods of Midianites and Canaanites. They are nothing alike. I don't see how people don't see this. The God of Israel is so, so different. The God of Israel comes down. He doesn't ask too much of us. He doesn't ask for us to come up to his level, to be worthy of him, to pursue him. He pursues us over and over and over again throughout the word. I see him coming to us. He wants to be known by us. He wants to rescue us. He's not aloof and far away and untouchable. He comes down into our situation. The God of Israel came down to Gideon when he was busy. Verse 12 says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Here's another example, and I keep finding these throughout the word. Of the spirit of Jesus speaking what could be into the heart of a person. Not speaking what is, but what could be. The way I read Gideon's story, don't see a mighty hero at first. Honestly, he's a bit cowardly. He goes on after this passage we're going to read today to, to do a few kind of cowardly things. I mean, he does the right thing, but he tears down the Asherah pole, for example, in the middle of the night so no one would know it was him. Right? That's the right thing, but in the middle of the night. Uh, he asks God for multiple signs to confirm what he said. Right? He doesn't just go for it. Okay, God, we're good. I'm going. He's like, give me a sign, and then give me another sign. Right? So... <laughs> probably freaking out. The angel doesn't acknowledge any of this. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. If the angel sees a man who is threshing wheat for his family at the wrong time, in the wrong place, in the bottom of a pit, he, he sees someone who's working hard to make ends meet, someone who has the heart of a hero inside of him, just waiting to be called out. That's what my Jesus does. That's what we mean when we say that our words are powerful, when we say that we should claim things, speak them into existence, not that we can, you know, call Lamborghinis and mansions and whatever into existence, not self-serving things, right? 
but that we can encourage, that we can call qualities out of people that are in there, maybe just buried right now. That's how Jesus used that power, not to, to call governments into place or change leaders or get rich quick schemes, right? I, I see him building others up, calling people into greater things. He spoke life into people. Mighty hero, he says. And you can almost feel Gideon's thoughts at the bottom of that pit with this next statement, though. The angel says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And it's like Gideon says, first of all, like, <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Like, he mouths off to him immediately. Like, like th- this has been on his mind down there in the pit where no one cares and no one is watching and no one is thanking him for this awful job. Like, who threshes wheat in a pit anyway, right? And we wouldn't even have to do this if it weren't for the stupid Midianites anyway, those filthy, no-good suckers. And, and where is God when we need him? You can just feel him going through this. Like, I, I thought we were in the promised land, right? Why, why am I down here in this pit? Where's the flowing milk and honey, God? Right, Where, where's the prosperity you promised us? The only thing I see flowing around here is misery. In verse 13, you can just feel this. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Can you... Imagine mouthing off like this to an angel, right? He's got some (laughs) anger, right? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I think we look at texts sometimes like this and just read it for what it is. But imagine being in that scenario. An angel shows up, right? Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You've Or like, uh, really? I don't see the Lord anywhere in this pit, right? I'm the one in the pit. (laughs) It's just this this anger. And then an angel says, go, you go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I would have been like, um, me? Who, me? Right, with the strength I have? God, I was saying you should rescue us. Like, you, like somewhere else far away from you should rescue us like uh, not me isn't that how we are though (laughs) we were so angry that God hasn't fixed this God hasn't done this and that the angel showed up and he said go with the strength you have the strength you have it's almost as if God was just waiting for someone to ask those questions This is why I say all the time that God isn't afraid of your anger. I think sometimes it's God. God's just waiting for the right person to get angry. Like someone to care enough to be angry. Someone to direct their anger at the right source. It's almost as if God shows up here in order to allow Gideon to air out his grievances just long enough to be called. Finally, here's someone who's asking the right questions. Someone who's directing anger at God rather than the Midianites. I know, I know that sounds terrible to direct your anger at God. That's, does he deserve that? But let me ask you two questions. Number one, is our enemy against flesh and blood? Is our enemy against 
flesh and blood. People get the wrath of our anger all the time, but do people deserve it? Or are they just deceived and entrapped and enslaved by the same selfishness and sin that we are? Right? Well, if it's not people then, if my anger shouldn't be directed at people, the next logical question you might ask is, is our enemy God? Should my anger be directed at God? Does God deserve Gideon's anger here? Like, Candace, are you saying that we should be angry at God? What, right? What's going on here? No, God also doesn't deserve the anger. God didn't oppress them, right? God didn't cause them to be disobedient. God didn't cause them to be unruly. God didn't cause them to be unfaithful. So why am I saying that expressing anger at God is a good thing? Right? Why does expressing this anger to God help? Listen, I have been the one asking angry questions like this to God before. Asking God, why would he allow this to happen or that to happen or this leader to still be used or for me to be in this situation like God, why? Right? I have asked questions like that so many times to God. And once, though, I asked this question to God, and his answer back to me silenced every question, every rant, every fire deep down in my soul. He said one simple sentence to me that silenced everything. And I can see it now in Gideon's story, too. When I said, God, how could you let this happen? God said, because you weren't ready to fix it yet. Oh. (laughs) Right? Oh, like, there's nothing else to say at that point. I'm not, I'm I'm good, first of all, I'm going to fix it. And second of all, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. (laughs) Like, right? When I got that response to God, it sat me down. And I began to realize asking, asking those particular questions of God meant that I had a little bit of pride I had to deal with too. I was assuming the problems that I was seeing, that I was angry about, were everyone else's problem, everyone else's responsibility, everyone else's fault. But what if I just wasn't ready to be the one to step up and fix it yet? Asking those particular questions of God... Not the world around me, because the world around me will never give you responses like this. The Holy Spirit does this every time. Asking those particular, yes, angry questions of God shifted my perspective in a way that no one else could have. Suddenly, my anger shifted into humility. That pride within me was exposed a little bit. Instead of blaming everyone and everything else, I had to shift into blaming me. I'm not ready. Me? I'm I'm meant to fix this. God, are you sure you have the right person? Like, right? It's almost as if God said, well, yeah, who do you think put those thoughts and questions in your heart in the first place? Not everyone gets angry about these things. You're angry about these things, right? And now that we're having this conversation, finally, I can let you in on a few things, right? God was revealing his plan to me in an angry moment, totally shifted my perspective. It was like he was saying, I've been waiting for you to ask these questions. I've just been waiting for you to get angry, to get fired up. Come on, let's get fired up. Let's go fix this, right? 
You don't have to have it all together because I do. This is still God talking to me. You don't have to have it all together. I do. You just have to be willing. Go with the strength you have. Sometimes God just needs somebody with the bare minimum amount of faith. Right? The, the faith of a mustard seed. Just a little. Just give me what you have, he says. Because God, God's math is not addition or subtraction. God is a multiplying God. You give him a little. He doesn't add to it. He multiplies it. Whatever is in our hand that we give to him, whatever we're willing to give, he multiplies it. So we give him just a little, and he can do a whole lot with that. He says, I am sending you. This angel said to Gideon, I am sending you. In fact, after reading this and processing a bit, I now think that some of us don't get angry enough we had that temper temper series a couple years ago remember I almost want to bring that one back because I want to, I'm seeing it in a whole new way some of us don't get angry enough we don't get angry enough to fix anything and to see it as our problem if it's somebody else's problem then someone else has to fix it not my problem right but God said I'm sending you are you sick and tired of being sick and tired yet Gideon finally fired up enough to fix it. You're finally ready enough to fix it. Come on, let's get angry. Let's get angry about being oppressed. Let's get angry about the consequences that we have to live with because of our own past decisions. Let's get angry that our ancestors and forefathers led us into terrible practices and handed down decades of disobedience so that we have to reap the rewards of those bad life choices. Let's get angry about it. That religious not religious, it's a righteous rebellion. Still, I've been talking about it for months, but it's <laughs> welling up inside of me. We have to get just angry enough to fix it. It's much harder to fix a problem when you don't see it as a problem, right? The first step to fixing it is to acknowledge the correct problem. We often acknowledge problems, but terribly. We misdiagnosed problems all over the place. I think this is what Gideon is doing here. He was finally seeing that God had indeed abandoned them for a while. Not blaming the Midianites anymore, right? Yes, terrible, awful people come in and, and oppress them like that, but they had done this. If they had just followed the Lord and what he had set before them, nothing could come against them. If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not the Midianites, but they had pushed God away. Over and over and over, and he couldn't help them anymore. They had given all of their power to something else. That's what sin does. That's what selfishness does. We're giving away power to things that want to control us instead of give in to us. But God came. That's the hopeful part of this. God came down into that mess when they were ready to accept his help and change, finally ready to see the problem for what it truly was, when they were ready to fix it. Did Gideon see the full picture yet? No. But he was finally asking the right questions of the right person, and God said, I'm sending you. Was that the end of the story? No, because verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Could, can't get lower than Gideon, right? The lowest of the low, the weakest 
tribe and the least in my entire family. He was saying, God, I am totally unqualified for this. You must have made a mistake. Does God make mistakes? He said, pick somebody powerful, somebody strong, somebody with a name for themselves. I'm a nobody, God. I've said this to God before, too. I have all the excuses. Like, God, I'm shy. I'm not good at speaking in front of people, much less hundreds. Like, I'm not good at speaking in front of a person, much less hundreds of people. I didn't finish Bible school. I'm a woman. I'm too young. Like, I have all these excuses. I'm this. I'm that. I'm not this. I'm not that. Who would follow me? Who would listen to what I have to say? Like, who, God? You must have chosen the wrong person. For sure. God said, I'm sending you. And that is the only requirement you need. In fact, sometimes being unqualified is just the right amount of qualified for God. The the qualifications sometimes just get in the way. Because then we start thinking that we did this. We earned this, right? A very long time ago, I was on a team of young adults leading a young adult ministry. I was on staff here as a kids pastor at the time, just volunteering my time to the young adult ministry, also volunteering this space, right? This, all of the resources that Freedom Valley had to offer this team of multi-church young adults, like we belong to all kinds of churches. There's no clear leader to this group, which looking back, probably our number one problem, but uh, I had all the resources, right? I had Freedom Valley, like, fully behind me. We've always believed in young people. They were like, yes, go do it. There was another girl on the team, though, who had just graduated Bible college. And there came a moment where we disagreed about how to proceed with something in the ministry. (laughs) And I just remember, it sticks in my mind so clearly. She looked across the table at me and she said, I'm a reverend. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a reverend. Like she kept saying it, like reverend, whatever, whatever is my name. Had she ever been on a church staff? No. Had she ever led an event before? No, ever. No. (laughs) Did she have any resources to offer the group other than her Bible degree? No. Would she use that Bible degree to lead us in some Bible studies? Also no. Would she do any work to actually make her ideas happen? Again, (laughs) no. So what does she have to offer other than reverend to the group? Do qualifications really qualify you? I didn't have the Bible degree, but I knew how to do the work. I was willing to do the work. So guess who got the job done? (laughs) Not the reverend. (laughs) At the end of the day, the title means very little. I, I don't have a Bible degree still. I am credentialed by the Sons of God. Don't worry. You know, don't get up and leave. Okay. Um, but you know what? I, I have gone through periods of my life where I was embarrassed by that. Maybe that means I have to study harder, work harder, listen to God more. But isn't that what I should be doing anyway? Being willing to learn as I go, not thinking I know it all. Don't get me wrong, a degree is still on my bucket list. I want it. I'm going to get it. God told me at one point that my 40s would probably be for that, so I'm being patient. But I I can't worry about it right now. There's too much work to be done. In fact, I now think that it's 
Instead of something to be embarrassed about, it's something I should boast about because it's not something that I have done that qualifies me for ministry. Something that disqualifies me, and therefore, it can only be God. can only be God. I cannot boast of my own abilities or my own effectiveness because I don't have any. All of the good things about me are Jesus, right? All of the bad about me is me. So what is there to boast about? I have nothing to boast about on my own. It's not me. Any insight, wisdom, knowledge that I appear to have comes from God. I was just reflecting yesterday. Sometimes when I sit down to write sermons, I actually write something on the page and then have to sit back and like, is that true? <laughs> like, I don't think I had that thought before I wrote it down on the page. I suddenly realized that I don't actually know if it's true or not. Like, like I hadn't had the thought before. I really have to sit back and examine it. Usually I come to the conclusion that it is indeed true. Therefore, I wasn't the one who inspired that particular keystroke. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. How can I rescue anyone? I'm the least talented, the least able, the least qualified, but maybe that means I'm just the right amount of qualified for God. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And sometimes it isn't even us that God changes. We like to say that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But sometimes he doesn't even qualify us. He qualifies how the enemy looks, right? God didn't say that Gideon would become strong enough to handle a whole army. He also didn't say that he would literally be only fighting one man. But he did say that it would be as if he were fighting one man. It's more often not us that needs change, but a perspective change that we need. God didn't say he would change Gideon. He didn't say he would change the enemy. The only difference God promises here is perspective. <laughs> we plan all these resolutions in the new year. And I'm not saying that they're bad. You know, I've made them in the past too. I have some creative ones I'm excited to make this year. But I read somewhere that the average New Year's resolution is only kept for 36 days, which in my experience is much longer than most people actually keep them. <laughs> like, I'm willing to bet that some people padded that number by like 30 days. 36 days is supposedly the average, probably of a bunch of liars, but just saying. What if, instead of putting new behaviors on ourselves in a new year, like trying to be more, to do better. What if instead we begin to ask God to change our perspectives instead? What if we wrote questions for God at the beginning of the year and asked him to answer them for us throughout the year? What if, what if we asked him for perspective changes instead of circumstance changes? Your circumstances don't provide victory. The story of Gideon proves that. We're going to finish his story next week. Circumstances don't provide victory. You serve the God of victory. He provides the victory, no matter the circumstances, sometimes without even changing 
the circumstances. He provides the victory. And if he is with you, who can be against you? If he is with you, do you need to be qualified? What if we need to change our perspective on what qualified actually means? In my view, God saw Gideon not as strong or powerful or qualified. He didn't have the right name, the right status, the right family. God saw Gideon as hardworking, determined, servant-hearted, and just angry enough to fix a problem. God saw a person he could use, not a person who had a title, a person he could teach, not a person who knew it all. He saw a person who had the right heart position, not someone angry at all the wrong things, and he called that person to fix it. In my view, God calls us to be someone way more often than he calls us to do something. What is your character like when no one is watching? When the enemy is closing in, when they're constantly stealing your things or watching your every move, are you in a pit being helpful? What is your character like when no one is watching? If God came down into your circumstances, would he find you being useful? Serving the people around you, even though it's hard. Harder than it should be. Harder than is fair. Or would he find you serving only yourself? Would he find you asking him questions or just blaming the world? Would he find you preparing yourself for a calling or just entertaining yourself to pass the time? This is just the beginning. The beginning. This is just the beginning of Gideon's story. Just the calling part. And next week, we're going to see just how Gideon ended up fixing it. But Jesus comes to us in all kinds of circumstances. He seeks and saves the lost. Right? Not the ones who already think they are found. Not the ones who think they have it all together. They know it all. They aren't looking for answers. He seeks and saves the lost. If you came in here today looking for him, He's already been speaking to you. This whole service, he has been speaking to your heart. I know because that's what he does. He is a speaking God. Open your heart to him today. He wants to call something out in you that you might not even know is there yet. He wants to heal something within you that you might not even know is broken yet. He wants to call you strong even when you feel weak. He wants to call you wise even when you feel dumb. He wants to call you joyful, full of joy, even when you feel depressed. He wants to call you hopeful when you feel hopeless, qualified even when you feel unqualified. He wants to speak life into our dead and dying hearts. He speaks hope when there is none. He wants you to fix it. Not only for you, but to call you into fixing it for others too. Your friends and family need you free. Your friends and family need you helpful, joyful, hopeful. 
The freedom that we find in Jesus isn't just for us. When we are healed, it's not just for us, it's for others too. When we are provided for, it's not just for us, it's for others too. When we are saved, it's not for the sake of our own salvation. It's for your friends, your neighbors, your family. Your blessing is meant to overflow onto the people around you. That's actually why Israel was called, remember? That's why Israel was meant to follow God's rules and regulations. They were meant to be different than the people around them because they were meant to be an example to the world of the goodness of God. They were meant to be a city on a hill, a light that couldn't be hidden. Their blessing was meant to overflow. It wasn't just for them, it was for everyone else, and yet they kept hoarding it all to themselves. Compromising it. Being unfaithful to it. Your blessing, your freedom isn't just for you. You are meant to share it. It was good news for you, wasn't it? Good news that sent you free. Jesus wants to call you into so much more. So much more. Stop counting yourself out. Stop calling yourself unqualified when Jesus has qualified you. And he is all you need. Father, today, we thank you for qualifying us. We thank you for sending Jesus into our broken and selfish and unqualified circumstances. God, it is never what we do that qualifies us or what we don't do that qualifies us. Some of us came in here today struggling with like, if I walk in the doors of a church, or, or lightning's gonna strike or you know, fire from heaven is gonna rain down. Like I don't deserve to be here. The answer to that is you're right. You don't. Neither do I. Neither does anyone here. Neither does anyone on planet Earth. The only one that deserved to be in the presence of God was Jesus himself. The only one who deserved to judge you was Jesus himself. And he chose not to. Instead, he put himself on a cross and he sacrificed himself for you. He makes you qualified to be in right relationship with your heavenly father, to be loved by the creator, God, who made you in his image. You are a child of God. You just have to see it. Jesus came to help us see it, to qualify us for right relationship with him. He loves you so much. He sent his son. He knows you're unqualified and he called you anyway loves you anyway, sent Jesus to save you anyway. All you have to do is say, Jesus, call on the name of the Lord. Ask him to rescue you. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Change my perspective. Shift my circumstances. Forgive me for the selfishness. Maybe I've made so many mistakes and a lot of us need that moment to just say that to God. God, I have made so many mistakes. I've been so selfish. I see it now and I ask for forgiveness. Jesus gives it every time. He's already given it. Just have to ask. God is real. God is good and he loves you so much. He sent his son.
call on the name of Jesus today. I want to give you that opportunity with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to run to the front or stand or any of that. But if you would say today, I want to give my life to Jesus. Then maybe it's a, a recommitment after a long time away. Maybe it's the first time ever to say, Jesus, come into my life. Heal me from the inside out. Forgive me for all the selfishness and sin. And let me live with God, the creator of heaven and earth, as my friend. Somebody I can talk to. Somebody that will provide for me. Somebody that will listen and speak back. Call me into more. If that's you today and you want to call on the name of the Je- name of Jesus, maybe for the first time, the first time in a long time, and you're sitting here in the room, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to give my life to Jesus. If, if you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. You can text, I, right, just type into the comments, I'm in. I'm into following Jesus. We'd love to get you more information on that. Is there anybody like that here today? I am in into following Jesus. I'm in to living this life for him. You can put those down. Maybe today you've given your life to Jesus, but things have been a little apathetic lately. You haven't felt the passion that maybe you felt at first or or you haven't felt the, the fire. Today you just want to get fired up. Get fired up. Like you're asking God, just put a fire in my belly today, Jesus. Get me fired up about something. Put a passion inside my soul that I will go out of these doors today and fix something in my world. Love somebody. Encourage somebody. Speak peace and hope to somebody. If there's a problem in this life, maybe you have, you've called me specifically to fix. God, put that fire in my soul. Would you just raise your hand if that's you? I'd like to pray for you. We will also have prayer partners down here at the end of service. If you want to receive the the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you want that fire, come and ask them for it. I would love to pray for you after service as well. The prayer partners will be available. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that you call the the unqualified. Thank you that you came down into our mess, that you rescued us, that you are the God of rescue, the God of provision. That you want to enter into our circumstances and heal us, help us, show us the way. God, let the word be a light to our feet this year. Like a lamp showing us which way to go. You would just make our paths clear, make our paths straight, that we would follow you truly in all that we do. Let every single aspect, detail of our lives come into agreement with your word. Let us be truly submissive to the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that deserves it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.